Hey everybody, this is Andile Masugu and you're listening to the Secret Source podcast. Welcome to it. This is where we open source the secret source. We have a smashing show lined up for you. I'm excited to have my colleagues from Founders Factory Africa, two incredible individuals who have insight into what it takes to, you know, move that entrepreneurship journey that much forward for founders, albeit in different ways. Let's start by introducing first, joining us from Nairobi, and I'm of course based in Johannesburg for this one, Njoki Muthangi. She's a venture sourcing analyst here at Founders Factory Africa. Welcome, Njoki. Thanks, 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 Ndili, and I look forward to the session. Absolutely. Uh, what many of our listeners won't know about you is, is that you are an entrepreneur yourself, aren't you? Yes. So previously it was a bit low key, but after my my piece, uh, it's going to be more high key. So I'm Adelaide. I'm part of the venture sourcing team at Founders Factory Africa. And basically what I do is the front facing side of Founders Factory or FFA, basically speaking to founders, speaking to a bunch of people. But then on the side, I also run a recycling business where we are working on creating construction material from glass waste. Creating by day, recycling by night. <laughs> by the way, Adelaide's her other name. She also goes by Njoki, which we'll be using throughout this episode. So don't be confused, my peoples. Don't be confused. <laughs> Right, and joining us from Lagos is our colleague Andy Oboforibo. He's product lead at Founders Factory Africa. And welcome to you, Andy. Welcome to the Secret Source, bud. Thanks, Andy Le. Great to be here. Hey, Unjoki. Hi, hi, Andy. On today's show, we'll be shifting the narrative of doing business in Africa. What are we talking about? Well, uh, Njoki and Andy had been doing some writing, well, call it in 2022, wrote some articles that um, did the rounds, might have gotten a little viral in our networks even, and each of them did their bits to challenge some of the notions many of us have about what it's like to start up in Africa. So Njoki, you wrote a piece on Medium called Investors Should Be Wary of Unconscious Bias Affecting Their Decisions. We're going to be unpacking some of the ideas and insights you you shared in that piece. And then Andy, you wrote a piece entitled Is Africa Doing Product Wrong? Both of these pieces, of course, had a lot to, to say about uh, the culture as it stands, what in your views you think can be and should be shifted and actually, I think, sparked a lot of conversations, definitely saw the people getting, some people getting quite involved uh, in conversation on social media. Are you guys excited about uh, unpacking these uh, these uh, situations? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. Let's do it. All right. But before we get into that, let's play a little game called Would You Rather? Now, you all know the drill. All you have to do is tell us, would you rather? When I pitch some of those scenarios, it's just to get us warm, get us talking. And we're going to start with you and Joki. Right. Would you rather live without your laptop or your mobile phone for the rest of your life? I'd rather live without my, my mobile phone. Really? I'd be surprised. No, I feel like my laptop does everything my phone does. And it does a bunch of other things that my phone can't do. So, yeah, I'd rather live without my phone because my laptop does everything my phone does. I have music. I have WhatsApp web. I have Instagram web. I have everything that I want. Uh, yeah. 
laptop. Andy, do you have uh, an alternate response? <laughs> no, same same response for the exact same reasons. I'll also add that I can't write for long, long with the phone, with my thumbs. You know, I'm old school. I still do the whole, you know, f- four fingers on the home key stuff. That so I would I couldn't live without writing. So I would need my laptop. So bye bye phone. Are you team we miss Blackberry? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I am. (laughs) Well, then, would you rather never be able to go out during the day or never be able to go out at night, Andy? Oh, I'll never have to go out at night. Yeah? Yeah. Is that an answer that's specific to you living in Lagos or just across the board? Yeah, I think it's living in Lagos, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Is it a bit stressful getting out? (laughs) And Joki, I imagine you might have a different answer. No, I actually have the same answer. I'd rather not be able to go out at night. So at least I'd get to save money on weekends. Things are beautiful during the day. I think the only thing beautiful at night is the stars. And I can see that from my window. So, hey. All I can't right. see stars in Lagos. <laughs> <laughs> there are stars elsewhere, though. <laughs> they exist. Would you rather hear? <laughs> would you rather hear the good news first or the bad news first? In Honestly, I'm stuck with this one because I'm thinking: does it really? Does it even matter? Well, you're getting both eventually. But what? What? What do you? Do you prefer for the? I don't know for your stomach to be laid before you, you get the 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 solid stuff hit your. <laughs> I don't know why I'm using this analogy. <laughs> I guess I must be hungry. But yeah, I mean, good or, new, good or bad news first? Bad news first, and then maybe the good ones after. Because hopefully okay. I'll remember the good ones after more. I'm more fond. Andy? Bad news first. I mean, don't bother me up. Just, you know, give it to me straight. Tell me the bad <laughs> news, and then at the end, you know, you know, we're on the bright side. Uh, okay. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. All right, then. Would you rather be restricted to music only for a month or television, Andy? Television. Hmm. Jockey, what's yours? Weirdly, I have the same answer, television. Wow, you guys are twinning. <laughs> Hive mind. Yay. Uh, hive mind. So, and and uh, are you terrestrial television or are you both streaming? Oh, streaming. I, you know, I, I only, I just, okay, full disclosure, I renewed my terrestrial subscription for the World Cup and now for Big Brother Titans. But apart from that, I'm streaming the whole way. Okay. And Jockey? Still streaming. Wait, just to make sure we are we're on the same page. So the, the question is, would you rather not have TV or would you rather not have music? That's correct. Ah, okay. For, oh. for, for a solid month. Okay. Yeah. I'd rather not have TV. Yeah. S- streaming. Oh, oh, so you have a different answer, see? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. So you definitely, and you stream your music. Yes, I stream my music. Yeah. And I'm currently not paying for my music subscription to try and focus on, on other things. And it's hurting me. I'm, I feel so much pain, but it's okay. <laughs> well, let's soothe some of that pain by jumping into today's topic, right? Let's let's shift some narratives. I imagine both of you had shifting narratives in mind, at least to some degree, when you when you wrote these articles for our newsroom. And I'm going to start with you, Njoki, by asking, you know, what is perhaps the most surprising response you got to the article you wrote? you know, cautioning investors to be, you know, to be wary of their unconscious bias. Yeah, no. So I actually got a bunch of founders reaching out saying, hey, I'd like to share my story. I'd like to share my story, which was very interesting. Like, okay, not surprising, I would say, but I I think it was nice that people could 
feel like they could warm up to me, right? So that was an interesting uh, feedback from that. And also, what was also surprising was found investors were also reaching out and saying, hey, I, like, I like this space. I'm actually changing, you know, like trying to change how I think about investments. So this is actually, you know, shedding light into how we've been doing investments before. And now I'm trying to, you know, um, either invest in more female entrepreneurs who are local entrepreneurs. And yeah, so I think those two the responses that I got from from the masses that uh, stood out for me. Right. And I suppose it goes with the territory as far as, you know, the work you do at Founders Factory Africa, because as a venture sourcing specialist on our team, you're, you're I suppose, in, interacting with the, with the ecosystem, founders mainly, as part of your job in helping us, you know, maintain an incredible deal pipeline. Thank you very much. Uh, and so from that perspective, are people... You know, were these founders reaching out to you to tell you their story so that, I don't know, they eventually do business or they were they just sharing? I think most of them, it was just sharing, right? And the purpose of that, or at least when we were having those conversations, the goal was, hey, do we write a more, you know, potentially a more practical piece again? So with more solid examples of things that are happening, how do founders also react to such things that, uh, you know, might happen when speaking to investors and either things, you know, go left, you know, or, or go right, you know, you know, how would founders also just put their foot on the ground when they are approached in a certain way that, you know, does not come off well both you know from that investor's uh, side right so for most of them i think only one like it was only one founder that we were currently having conversations within our pipeline on us investing in them but like the others it was more general and more you know like i just like to share my experience with you and just yeah and and for me i'm always willing to get learnings out from them as well so yeah andy you spend a lot of time you and and the rest of the team at ffa who you know essentially work with founders in our portfolio to improve and even sometimes pivot or iterate their product. And I mean, I imagine going to market with a headline like, is Africa doing product wrong was inviting like a ton of criticism potentially from <laughs> from the market. It was like, okay, who are you with this, you know, with this perspective, you know? Did you get that kind of energy? Well, I got a very interesting cousin of that energy. I think what I found was I got a lot of founders who I spoke with after that. And, you know, a lot of them, you know, maybe felt a bit like I wasn't fully seeing it from their perspective. I think mostly founders were saying, because what the article was really saying is that the way we as product people, product managers, were, were trained to view the product process isn't the way it works in most African startups and especially West African startups because there are differences in the work culture. So mostly this was an this was an article aimed at product managers to say, you know what, manage your expectations, change it. Maybe we need to think about that. We have to maybe own up to the fact that product works differently here and we should start thinking about adjusting to the way it works here. But I think at the same time, the, the subtext of the article, which is that founders are ignoring the right way to do it, kind of like God founders talking. And a lot of them were basically saying to me, well, we are under constraints and that's why we're doing these things differently. We don't have full confidence in the product management ecosystem within Africa, so to speak. And that's why we're taking on more of this 
product management, product leadership in our companies than we would normally do. It's it's funny because I, I definitely see now that you said it, that the, the, those were the two things you were mostly seeking to address with this piece. And they'll be all linked in the show notes, by the way. Um, if you haven't read any of these articles, please go ahead and, you know, feast, <laughs> my people. But yeah, I, I, I certainly think the, the latter point you you made stood out to me. And, and in, a, in a positive way, I don't think you were, you know, trying to make yourself out like you've got this all figured out. I think you, you know, you're quite, I think you were quite candid and actually quite forthright in, in just, it, I suppose, even just sharing from a place of, you know, observation, but also being in the trenches with the very founders you're, you're, you're hoping to address these issues for. And I wonder, Joki, in, in sort of conscientizing the market, or at least seeking to conscientize the market around some of the ways at, you know, if certainly in your case, investment professionals, some of the ways they might be unwittingly leading into bias in in making investment decisions. To what degree did you get maybe pushback from your peers in investments around some of the sentiments you had? I didn't get pushback from my peers. And it could be because, I, and that's if I've understood your question correct, right? I think for me, something else that I also like to do is when people say things and people claim things, I like to lean in on, on the data, right? So it's, hey, we have this data set, we have this database, and based on this, you know, if you do this kind of analysis, this is what you would extract, and this would be the conclusions, right? So the research that I did was also based on other people's research. So they had numbers, they've done their research, and even the like the one Prior to this one as well, the one that I did with my own data, with my own data set, you know, again, it's, hey, I mean, like, if you're going to come at me, please come to me with with facts and, and numbers. So I didn't get pushback, you know, from from most people. So what I got was a lot of feedback on how things can change and how and, and, and maybe even why things are the way they are, right? And I think for me, the one thing that I think could fix or could unquote or hopefully fix things would be and everyone kept saying this like it kept coming up with is should there be a point where we have more local investors investing in these startups that we're currently you know trying to to give money and invest in we will most likely have more investors than at that point investing in local investors right which for me i think is a long game because ideally some of the things that are holding back maybe local investors is one is the whole mentality thing where most African investors have only been exposed to traditional assets, you know, like you want to buy land, you want to buy a house, you want to buy an apartment, and that's investments for you, right? And in most cases, sometimes investment for you is if I can see it, if I can see where my money is at, you know, this building, this is my money, this house, this is my money, you know, like the or, or these stock options, these stock certificates. So, I mean, so there's that fast, fast blind or rather how do you call it? Like cutting on our eyes, right? And then also apart yeah. from that is maybe the thing that might help us convert into seeing startups as as a viable asset class would be probably us seeing more exits, right? So the more exits you see, because ideally seeing is believing, right? I could sing, I could write a song, I could say, you guys, you, you can get 10x, you can get 100x, but it's hearsay as long as you can see it, right? So the more exits you see, 
exits are published, the more evidence there is that, hey, this is a viable asset class and you can actually shift and invest in startups. So I feel like I gave a long answer to your question. Uh, did I answer yeah. your question? You, yeah, you did. Look, I mean, I, I suppose I'm hearing two things, right? I'm hearing on one hand, addressing a bias in local investors. Yeah. I think in your response, I think you you lean quite heavily into that, which is, you know, there's there's an obvious, there are many reasons, some of which you've you've listed now for for why, you know, high net worth individuals, you know, institutions who call themselves venture capital, even PE within the African context, don't look at tech, early stage tech or tech VC as a legitimate, you know, asset class worth, you know, genuinely sort of investing in. I think that's one thing. But I think you also make uh, some 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 points in your in your writing about you know how even within the the world of investors who are dedicated to this emerging asset class if i if i want to you know sort of be you know play devil's advocate towards people who don't see it as a real thing in that field of 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 participants or or, or proponents there are people who seem to be investing in the same kinds of of deals or same kinds of people in the same kind of places is it fair to say those are the points you were trying to elicit in your article Yes. So, I mean, the, there is a bunch of reasons of of why there's that funding gap between, you know, like local entrepreneurs versus, I, I think, expert entrepreneurs, we'll call them that. And so for that article, the point that I was trying to push across was, so one, there's this issue that always keeps coming up, right? So is it that, is this merit, you know, like, is it, that more, you know, like expert founders are better as, com- you know, compared to local founders, or is it, you know, like and a better bias? by by better you mean more bankable, say? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, bankable. A better bet. Yeah. <laughs> so, are they a better bet as opposed to local founders? And actually, like like some of the points that I put across are if you were to look at the factors that would call them or would make them better, quote unquote. So, for example, their level of education. Their, like their years of experience in like in that particular uh, industry. So there's a researcher who like did a very nice job of comparing the local founders f- from that point of view versus the expert founders from that point of view. And the results were overwhelming, right? I think what he found was around only 15% of the expert founders had like a technical, let's say like level of education, like a degree or and even like the, how do you call it? Sorry, like the, um, and their years of experience, if you were to compare it to the local founders as well, they were almost the same, right? So if you are, mm-hmm. I mean, if you are to say all factors constant, we're only comparing education and experience of this, you know, of founder A versus education and experience of founder B. And if they are the same, or even, you know, like local founders are slightly even better if you compare them to expert founders, and you still end up picking the expert founder, then ideally there's something else that's going on as opposed to what you quote unquote claim is the yardstick that you're currently using to compare these two different founders, right? So ideally you would mm. want to make it seem like the yardstick is the same, but it's not, right? Because at the end of the day, these guys are better, are seemingly better and even beyond, over and beyond the experience, over and beyond like the technical expertise, they have the advantage of being closer to the problem, experiencing the problem for 
a number of years, assuming they've been in the country for a while as well, right? So there's also those advantages that you also don't see and you still end up, you know, picking the expert founders, right? So now that's when it boils down to now our existing biases and it's people invest in people that they know and uh, at the end of the day, such things will come into play. You know, either you've seen this model work in the UK and you're like, uh, and we invested in a similar founder, you know, a male. Oh, oh, sorry. I almost said something controversial, you know. So you invested. What, did you say? <laughs> what, what were you going to say? Say it. What, what was the controversial <laughs> thing? I want the controversial thing. <laughs> male or? No, no. I'm going to say male white founder. Like, it's like the model of a good founder, right? So like it's worked in the UK. So ideally you might want to still believe that this might also work in a different market because you've seen it somewhere else. And then, you know, such things. So I, uh-huh. I mean, I'm going to jump in and say this, right? Because I mean, e- even in your hesitance to say, you know, white in this instance, right? As part of what you're sharing. Yeah, I think speaks to why we're we're discussing narratives, as yeah. po- you know, and and I think that's what br- honestly that's the glue between what on the surface of it looks like two very st- different topics. I mean, there, there's there's Andy writing about you know about product and how it's done on the continent, right? And there's and there's you talking about investment and and how you know it's for the most part done early stage investment VC on the continent in tech and. It occurs to me that there's stories being told about what good looks like in both instances. And and I'm gonna come back to you, Njoki, but but you know, Andy, where are people sourcing their information around what good looks like around, say, something like product? And I wonder if some of the pushback of their sense of, you know, what uh, you know, some of the pushback, even the mild pushback you might have gotten or you for, for writing your article, you know, I wonder if if it's informed by, you know, the stories or the narratives that they've ingested. Definitely it is, Andile. And I think it goes back to the point that Njoki made very, very well in her article. And here again, it comes down to a lot of things that have gone unquestioned, a lot of assumptions and biases that go unquestioned. Because here's the thing. The thing with bias is that it's... Like, I may have a bias against you, right? If I, an unconscious bias that works against you. But, but if I keep acting on that bias and talking based on that bias unconsciously to you and around you, you might pick up on the bias yourself and become biased against yourself or biased against people like you, you know? And I think that's part of what's happening in the African ecosystem, it's definitely part of what we see in product because that pushback of, well, Nigerian PMs or African PMs are just not good enough or just not that good, that's not based on any... And by PM, you mean product manager? Yes, yes, product managers. That's not based on any, like, you know, um, data, really. Coming back to another another great point Adelaide made, I mean, Jockey made, sorry. It's not based on data. It's not based on something empirical. It's based on a sense. And, you know, because I've worked with product teams from all around the world. I've worked with American product teams, European product teams, Asian product teams, and African teams. And, you know, we struggle with the same things. We excel at the same things. And, I mean, even if you look at, if you look at the data of the companies that are doing very well in Africa, or especially in Nigeria, like, you know, you have, okay, like, the, you know, all these, big, all these unicorns we always like to wheel out. Uh, a lot of their product teams were African, you know. Yet, we still have this unquestioned 
um, assumption that, oh, African product um, people will not be able to deliver as well as, you know, foreign product people, even though, even though they have even a much better understanding of the local market and its local nuances, user behavior, what works and what doesn't work, what friction that exists here that doesn't exist in, you know, a Western market. One trivial example is how do you build products for, you know, for, for use in rural Africa where, you know, internet connection is is choppy for example mm-hmm. or how do you build for places in particular parts of west africa where literacy levels are lower than you might expect elsewhere that completely changes ux it completely changes that's user experience it completely changes how you design your product and the thing with products and uh, product knowledge and product sense is you just have to be immersed in it right so if you're mm-hmm. not living and breathing that in your career day in and day out for months weeks and years um, how are you going to be better than those who are? And I think that's, so you have that that belief that is going unquestioned, even in the face of data that might speak against it. And then you see the same founders, African founders I'm talking about now, who will like micromanage an African product team, but will delegate, relinquish and abdicate for a Western product team when they have enough money to hire one. So you have to ask yourself, like, you know, are they aware that sometimes, and I'm not saying all the time, that there are some biases unconsciously at work in the way they're, they're viewing these things. And it, it, it really is it's something that we have to probe. I wasn't even, the funny thing about the article, like I said, is that I, that was not even really my main point. My main point was basically, I was mostly talking to the PMs themselves, the product managers themselves and saying, hey, look, this is the reality of what you face. And are there ways we can we can overcome this? But uh, I think, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I think the, the non-PC, or the, let me say, perhaps one of the most contentious elements of your, of your piece, which... I mean, in, again, like you say, it was more, it was it's almost an advice piece, a how-to in, in some ways. And it was reflective, of course. But there was the the piece where you basically just called out some of the toxic nature of how Africans show up within the context of being, you know, founders and and, and professionals within a, a, a fledgling ecosystem. And so it's interesting because I'm, I'm contrasting, and this was the Oga culture, the Oga culture question, which... It's, it's interesting, now that I think about it, it's a similar question on when it comes to, to what Njoki was saying earlier. There is a sense in which, you know, the data, at least on Njoki's side of this conversation, points to, you know, a certain sensibility we have about who is the boss and who's worthy of sort of backing with our, with our investment money. But it's, it's interesting how, why we would still tiptoe around that as a fact in the same way we'd it's quite ob- well it's it's quite i don't want to call it obvious it does appear apparent that there are certain behaviors in our ecosystem that aren't helping but it's sensitive to address that you know i wonder what that's about joki what do you think why why do you think if the data is saying we have this problem and it manifests in this specific way why are we pussyfooting around the matter? Why wouldn't we just come out and say that? I guess. What's at stake if you do? I guess if you do. Or when you do. Is there, is there, because I sense maybe there's a, is there some kind of consequence to, to rubbing certain people up the wrong way around this matter? 
I'd like to think there is, right? And sometimes, and so, so one, I think it one, it comes to fear, and then so because because if then you are this vocal person, you're this outspoken person, or rather, this is how I say it, right? Then you get this label, right? And sometimes this label is not the activist type label. It's hey, this is someone who seems difficult to work with. So, for example, even I, maybe low key, I'm like, hey, you know, should I be too vocal? You know, what's the good balance? Because ideally, you know, I don't want to be the person who everyone says, you know, like you have this label on your back that, like, the label would be difficult to work with. But we know the reason is because you're loud and you say the truth. And you say it as it is, right? And then you see if that happens, then it means, for example, uh, you know, then guys wouldn't want to associate with you. And in this case, it would be if you are a founder and you're too vocal, then it's almost as if you're poking the guys who have the money and like you're telling them this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And it makes them uncomfortable, right? So it might be a bit hard for such people to think, you know what, I'm going to give you my money. So if you're coming at me, I'm most likely going to, to, I, and I guess it's human, right? I'm most likely not want to give you my money if you keep bashing me, if you keep coming at me. And I guess. And for you as an investor, do you think there's, there's some kind of, you know, rub for you as a professional, potentially? Yeah, because again, most of the VCs are international VCs. So again, I could be the, like the for one now. who's... Sorry? <laughs> for now. <laughs> yeah. So for, so for example, say God forbid I have to leave FFA, right? Mm. And it's on to the next thing. And then the next thing is I have this tag on my forehead, which has enough space actually. And then, you know, it's... It's everyone who sees me, sees me in a certain way and they see me as this person who does things a particular way and is vocal about these things and we would not want to associate ourselves with her, right? So that makes things a bit difficult for mm. you to even exist within the ecosystem. I guess that's why people maybe don't want to speak about it because even when I speak to founders, right, and it's, it's either, you know, fleshing this out into a more practical article it's hey you have to keep me secret because i'm also trying to fundraise you know like don't say my name so there's that there's that layer and i think it's because at the end of the day before we have local founders giving us most of the money it's going to take a while and the most like most of the money is still going to come from international investors and at the end of the day you don't want that label on your back or on your on your forehead so yeah can i say you know for what it's worth I'm not a fan of this conversation, just, you know, just stoking bitterness and angst for its own sake, right? Because I do think there's a genre of this conversation that tends to do that. And and I think there's a, there's a huge appetite for that sort of thing. Anywhere you look, you know, it, you know, it doesn't have to just be VC. I mean, generally speaking, I mean, you know, pick a, pick, pick a negative angle and it'll probably trend or have more legs than, say, a positive or constructive one. I do think though it's 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 quite telling when there's data. You know what I mean? We're not even talking like it's not an arguable question of how many women founders do we have relative to to men like getting investment or or being backed and you know and and, and again not to oversimplify all the complex reasons about why that's the case but the data is the data, right? And I and it's interesting to me that as as for as long as I've been in this ecosystem you know, it's it's important to some people that, you know, a certain story is perpetuated about what progress looks like. 
And on certain issues, it's like, let's not talk about that till it makes sense to. Similarly, though, I mean, Andy, is there a world in which a product manager in in Africa hides behind the quote unquote the reality of you know building in Africa to just not do things properly? <laughs> yes, I think that's one of the big big risks, and in fact, it's it's a pervasive thing. And I think a lot of the time you have a situation where product managers just abdicate and. Mm sort of let things be as as they are because well there's this big reason why right there's ogre culture uh mm -hmm. getting in the way and stopping me at work from being what i know is the best because my boss won't you know wants to be the head of product but i think that's part of why i wrote the article was to say like look we're product managers what we do for a living is solve problems right so this is a big problem for product managers why aren't we sitting down to solve it for ourselves you know mm. physician heal thyself so mm. Like, instead of just getting frustrated that it doesn't work the way we're taught in the textbooks, why not figure out how to make the current reality fit best practice better? And that's, I don't know if, well, so a lot of product managers, I think those who succeed in Africa tend to come to that by trial and error and figure it out and figure out ways to influence their you know, their founders without power, without authority, find ways to become the trusted person that the founder relies on for decision-making, find ways to earn that trust over time that can allow them to carve out autonomy for themselves and their product teams to execute and deliver. So that's that's happening, but it's happening in a very scattershot way, nothing systematic, because everybody is getting into product management, learning it, this, all learning it the same way, the way it's taught from Silicon Valley, instead of well the reality here it would be nice if african more african founders had more confidence in their product managers it would be nice if more african founders decided that look i don't get involved in the day-to-day -day of what my cfo is doing let me also not get into day-to-day -day of what my cpo is doing my chief product officer that would be nice but until that day comes we as as the product community in africa need to start adjusting the expectations of the newer product managers coming in, giving them the soft skills and the tools that they need to navigate this very different corporate culture here and carve a stake for themselves that allows them to get their job done, get their job done well, and excel. That's good. I mean, I'm also just thinking about how, even for the old guys listening to this right now, right, who are probably defaulting to cultural, quote-unquote, cultural norms around being, let's be honest, a difficult boss, a sort of autocratic, dictatorial type leader. And I say that carefully because uh, many Africans will listen to that and say, that's not proper. That's not properly African. That, that's a, that's a, <laughs> <laughs> that's a bastardization of what it's supposed to be, African leadership. But there's also a version of, you know, for better or for worse, their modern cultural norms you know, that are now acquired in, in various African markets around those archetypes, right? And you'll hear, you know, certain leaders go, if I don't lead like that, I won't get anything done. Or, you know, you know, or, or point at other people who are trying to lead differently and go, well, 
talk to me when they've achieved what I've achieved, and then maybe I'll think about changing. I think it, 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 this is a question of leadership or, you know, how you choose to lead even as a founder, as much as it is, you know, a question of how you, you know, steward the product, man, you know, steward the, the product build or the product development situation in, in a company or, you know, at a corporation. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, definitely. I would say that's fair. I think, and to be fair to African founders or the the type of African founders I was talking about in this in in that article, I don't even see it as them being dictatorial. I I see it as, like you said, like you you, you rightly um, explained, this is just the way they know how to run a business. This is just the way the the corporate culture in Africa, especially in West Africa, which points out is framed and has been shaped. So people come into the startup you know, world, the tech startup world, they're coming into it from the wider African corporate culture. So they're bringing those, those things, those ways of work. Now we're telling them, oh no, there's a different way of work. It's going to take a lot of time for people to understand and accept that, yeah, well, maybe there is a different way of doing things. And maybe what these guys are talking about is is a preferable way. It goes back to a point that Njoki made earlier on as well about, you know, the same thing with, you know, people in a, you know, VCs coming in, investors coming in, and they know one way of doing things. They know one way of seeing the world. And so they're looking for that. And they're looking to replicate that. It's the same thing with the founders. The founders know one way of, you know, of running a business. They know one corporate culture. And that's what they're trying to replicate. So I think there is a room. And, that's, and I think that's one of the things that we do very well at FFA is that you know, when we, the founders come in, we're also showing them a different way to do things. And I think the best founders, the founders that get the most out of, the, out of FFA are the ones who are open to like you know, adjusting their assumptions about how do I run my business and how do I grow my business. So I think there is a lot of give and take to be had. And I think it's also early days. I think in the same way that Njoki said, you know, when we start to see some exits, some more exits, it's, it, it proves that you can trust, you know, African founders more, uh, especially mm-hmm. in, in, in a more diverse set of African founders. I think in the same way, when we start seeing more exits, more mature products, conquering the world, it will in turn t- tell those founders that they can trust their operators better. They can trust their product people better. I mean, another thing we do quite well at Founders Factory Africa, even if we say so ourselves, <laughs> is, <laughs> is 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 actually just acknowledge the the nuances in in all the different African markets that we we we're looking to do deals, right? And I mean, it's I think it speaks to a lot of what you were saying, Joki, about I mean, how could you not see it as an advantage to have someone who understands the language, who understands the nuances of how people think, consumer behavior in different spaces, who who knows what it's like to sit in a, in a specific kind of public transport, knows what they call, you know, knows the sign you you show the driver to stop, you know, in that neighborhood and, and, and knows how to get, you know, knows how to negotiate around, you know, a purchase in a market in a specific region. You know, how how is that not sensible to to try and back as an investor to go, hey, if we had a more diverse <laughs> set of people spread across the continent from those places, you know, 
quote unquote, on the ground. <laughs> I don't like that term because it makes it sound like, you know, we're talking about, you know, some distant war-torn place. But I mean, wh- wh- how could that not be a sensible way to do business, Njoki? I just, is it, I mean, is it really that difficult to to grasp as a business as a as a smart business move, as an investment imperative. Honestly, I also don't understand how that's not a smart business move, right? Because ideally, VC investors are like smart people, you know, different degrees, good schools, and yeah, they you know, like they're basically telling other people, "Hey, give us your money, and we are going good to good with money, this, uh, good, <laughs> it's great investment decisions for you, right?" Uh, but I think for me, maybe some things that will happen and that might happen is so one i think the biases that we already have you know are stronger as to what is to like to the logical sense like what makes sense right and ideally then i think what might happen is and what might maybe cause correct the current trend would be lessons from bad investments lessons from you know the investments that you make with those biases right because ideally then and hopefully you know like such investors would come to the drain board and see hey there's this trend you know like let's say we have a portfolio of 50 plus um, investments and then we have these different founder archetypes and then you know based on these different founder archetypes you can group them into this you know let's say four five six categories depending on how you know you know on how you go about it and then maybe from that you'd see hey what's the trend Maybe are we are we getting more returns by investing in local founders, you know, and maybe that might might help. And basically, are we failing more where the situation is the opposite? So, you know, and, you know, like are women are, more bankable? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So maybe lessons from being banned, because once you get banned, you're like, OK, OK, that's fire. That's fire. I won't touch again. Right. So maybe and hopefully lessons from past previous investments that didn't go as, as expected might be the thing that might also help us course correct. And also apart from that, good lessons from other investors mm. who put aside their biases and bet on what we, or most guys would say, are unbankable on deals that maybe you saw and you passed on, right? Because you were like, I don't get it. I don't see the problem. I don't understand the solution. Oh, this product, it might not work. How does it scale? You know, all those VC questions that you might end up asking, right? And you say, no, we're not going to invest in this deal as well, right? So, and then, you know, other guys might give them a chance, invest in the deals. And, you know, three, four, four years down the line, you you'll start seeing the difference, right? And sometimes as investors, you also, you always have that memory, especially of such deals that, you know, came to your table and you said no, right? And uh, so, yeah, I think it would be those two things, getting burnt and seeing other people celebrate their returns. So, yeah. One of the things you're be, you're being quite modest about in Jockey is how you and the, the venture sourcing team at uh, FFA are doing exactly that in terms of just um, looking to mine the data that's available to to establish trends of that nature, even in our own portfolio. And of course, that's not anything we'd talk about on a public platform. But I think we just need more people asking those questions because I think what's it's important for people listening to know is the thematic thrust of this conversation actually was born out of live conversations internally about these issues. And it's a pragmatically driven conversation about what would be the smartest way to do business here, guys? There's We obviously care about doing business the right way as well. So there is definitely an ethical and, and moral 
imperative that we all at, at, at FFA sense in, 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 in wanting to, to do the right thing for its own sake. But I mean, I, I think for the most part, when, when we, we, we have these conversations internally, it's how do we make it more plain to, to people who might not be as, as willing to, to do the right thing for its own sake? How do we make a case to, for them that, that is as pragmatic as, you know, at, you know, your money, this is the smart money bit, right? To do it this way. And I suppose in closing, I actually want to ask you both, uh, starting with Njoki, actually, how you think the narrative shift, and I think there is a narrative shift on this because I'm, I'm thinking five, 10 years ago when I started covering the scene as a journalist, I can definitely see, you know, changes and, and maybe it's more signals than trends at the moment where, you know, we're definitely hearing more about invest LPs going, hey, we definitely want you to see a round led by a local investor, for example, or you, I think we're also seeing a trend towards certain funds of funds going, you know, you know, what does your team look like and, and where are they based? We're not just going to give you money if you're just going to sit in Silicon Valley and remote control deployment. I, and I know this might not be a you know a wave just yet, but I I wondered, Njoki, what would you point to as practical examples of how stories like yours, articles like yours, even as you know, even you know, medium posts like yours, articles, data dumps and shares that you know your researchers in our ecosystem are starting to share more and more frequently these days. How is this moving the narrative in a in a positive and practical sense from an investor's perspective for someone like you? Yeah, no, so I think the one thing that I actually also wanted to point out is what you just mentioned, right? And we were having this discussion um, internally yesterday where most international investors are like, hey, we need to see a local investor lead this round, right? And how I see it is these guys are like, hey, we may not have too much exposure, you know, in the market. We don't know so much about the problem. But should someone with local experience, with more local experience and more local exposure, be willing to, you know, give you the money, then we will be convinced that we can also give you our money, right? So it's basically other VCs vetting their peers, right? And then so what I hope to see and what I hope will happen is that will trickle down to now up beyond other VCs trusting other VCs. It will be now those VCs being able to now trust the founders directly, right? So it would be, hey, you know, once you've gotten this much exposure from this much investments that you've done, you know, in partnerships with this local investors, we've we've had exposure to some extent and uh, potentially now we can, you know, like the model of a good entrepreneur within our minds will have changed and might have changed. And ideally, we would, we would not have to even go through the local uh, VCs and we can just go straight to the source. And I think, so why I think that is interesting is because, so I think at some point last year, we had a number of deals where we had international VCs trying to actually squeeze out local VCs from certain deals, right? So wow. it's either by overpricing the deal. So if it's a too overpriced and you have a small check and you're a local VC, you're like, okay, okay, it doesn't make sense, right? But these guys are willing to come in and draw out, right? Just like that. But, you know, guys are like, you know what? Uh, I think we need some local VCs to actually come in. So get that and then we can come on board. So I think that's an interesting shift that we are seeing. I'd actually do like to see the numbers of that though it's just a very early concept and discussion that you are having. So, so yeah. Mm, really, really interesting. Oh, that's squeezing out this. I mean, I'm also, I'm, when I cast my mind back, I remember a time when 
local investors only invested if you you know you got like a 500 startups or a Y Combinator involved. In fact, that's probably still a thing if I'm honest. But it's 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 interesting how you know again th- there's this backhanded acknowledgement that okay local investors probably have done their vetting and due diligence and if they think it's a it's a hot ticket we're in but let's squeeze them out <laughs> <laughs> and then and then i suppose the 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 vision of the future that you've just cast is actually the the best one where it's like look let's lead and let's collaborate and let us let us all come to the table leading on the areas of competence i mean and to me there's an obvious competence to a local investor who, who you know who's who gets the market eyes on the ground you know what i mean relationships made to see this as a zero sum i think is very this zero sum game where you know you winner takes all i think is a very short sighted sense is a very short sighted game in closing again andy on to you how how's this narrative shifting if at all and i'm hoping for you you you're feeling things are trending at least in the right direction and and if not what can we do to shift this narrative further i imagine more think pieces like the one you wrote but <laughs> but yeah perhaps perhaps you think things are trending correctly yeah and i'm not really worried i think going back to like the two questions back i'm not worried because you know you have Njoki and Hope and Ayo and the rest of our sourcing team. Uh, you have FFA as a company who understands that, look, there's this bias and we have to actively work against it and actively look at the real data to make the smart decisions based on African context. And we're already doing that. And like Njoki very eloquently laid it out, others will follow because even sometimes people aren't clear-eyed enough to see to see past their biases but they are smart enough to see a winning a winning formula and follow it and i think that's what we're going to see happen so that's going to take care of itself i'm not worried is the same thing is going to happen on the product side as well because what we're doing on the studio side of ffa is we are building better startups we're helping our founders build better startups we're helping them um, incorporate a better culture within their startup helping them give more freedom to their operators their product people their growth people and we believe our thesis is that that will lead to better outcomes for those startups so we're going to end up with better startups and that's also going to send a message to the market and the market will be smart enough to correct you're going to see more uh, investors demanding these same cultural um cultural optimizations so to speak and i think you're going to just end up seeing a better quality of teams being put together with better culture so all of that to say we are already doing what needs to be doing which is like modeling the right the optimal behavior as we see it but of course we're going to keep writing we're going to keep evangelizing we're going to try also building more community more outreach just basically being in the ecosystem and helping build the ecosystem here here andy obo for uh, i need, i need i need to be saying everyone's name in full more often so that i get that right no i couldn't agree more thank you so much for landing that plane for us product lead at founders factory africa is andy and a big thank you to you as well as thank you to njoki muthangi venture sourcing analyst here at founders factory africa thank you njoki thank you for having us thank you andy lee